Good morning, everyone. Last week, we began a new series of sermons entitled The Wells of Genesis. During the series, we're looking at seven different events that took a place around watering wells or springs in the book of Genesis. Watering wells are, were, of course, natural gathering places, but we see that God would use these watering wells as a place of making important decisions and events that would occur in people's lives. And I believe the Lord can use these experiences to record it in the pages of Genesis to shape our lives uh, for the glory of God. Now, as I mentioned before, this morning's text comes from Genesis chapter 16, where Hagar flees from Sarai, Abraham's wife. And so let us read uh, what is recorded for us in the pages of Holy Scripture, Genesis chapter 16. Hear now the word of God. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore no children to him, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar to the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong be done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from the presence of her, from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the desert, by the spring, by the way, to Sir. He said, "Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from, and where are you, are you going?" And she said, "I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai." And the angel of the Lord said to her. Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live east to all of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, I have remained alive after seeing him. Behold, the well was called Beer-Lahai-Roy. Behold, it was between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore 
Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Again, throughout the sermon, I will interchange Abraham with Abram and Sarai with Sarah. Uh, We realize that God renamed Abram, Abraham, later on, as well as he renamed Sarai, Sarah, later on. So if you will allow me just to use them interchangeably, it would be very convenient for the preacher. All right? Two billion people on the face of the earth right now revere Hagar. Two billion people revere her as the mother of Islam, the mother of the Muslim faith. Perhaps no woman besides Mary herself have so many people who honor her as Hagar. But Islamic terrorism and the jihad can make it difficult for Western Christians to see the redemptive significance in this passage, and most particularly to Hagar and Ishmael. The fact that Islam, perhaps the greatest enemy of the church today, holds Hagar and Ishmael in high esteem makes it very difficult and for Christians to to really dive into this passage, and often it makes it easy for Christians just to skim over it. But I think that that is a mistake. The text begins in Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bored no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. So let's create a little bit of context here. We realize that Abraham was 75 years old when he left Herod, his home country, and journeyed to Canaan to embrace God's covenant promise to make from him the descendants of a great nation to bless all the families of the earth. Now inherent in God's promise to Abraham was this promised seed. And the Lord reiterated this promised seed over and over again in his covenant promise to Abraham. Now again, it's important for the student of scripture to understand that God's promise to bless all the nations of the earth through Abraham's descendants, was ultimately fulfilled in Christ. In Abraham, God was developing a nation and a nationality that would give clear evidence of who the Christ child was. And we see that in Matthew's gospel, his genealogy makes that very clear in that he starts with Abraham and finishes with Christ. You see, the promised seed that would produce the Christ had to be a legitimate descendant of Abraham. So when we come to Genesis chapter 16, Abram and Sarai had lived in Canaan for 10 years with one glaring omission, no child. Now, 10 years is a long time to wait on the promises of God. Amen? 
Sarah and Abraham were now 86 years old. Now, often when the Lord delays his promises in our lives, sometimes we eventually quit believing, and other times we start developing to take matters into our own hands and to develop our own plans. Well, 10 years had gone by, and now we see that Abraham and Sarah are start to develop their own plans on how to obtain God's promises. Now, just months before what is recorded in Genesis chapter 16, we see back in Genesis 15 that Abraham actually asked the Lord to make his adopted son, Eleazar, the heir of the covenant. But we see that God would not have anything to do with that. The Lord came to Abraham saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir, a legitimate descendant. So we see here in Genesis chapter 16 that Sarai's proposal was very innovative. We see that she's approaching to address both issues. One is her barrenness, and the other is God's insistence that the child must be born of Abraham's own body. The problem is, is that Sarai and Abram's plan was in direct disobedience to God's word. And even though the practice of a barren woman giving her husband permission to have children through their maid was acceptable in the broader culture in that region of the world, it was not acceptable from the pages of Scripture. Being sarcastic here, what do you think is going to go wrong? A worldly mindset, manipulation, adultery, an illegitimate child, bitterness, hatred, spiritual complacency. What could go wrong? The whole beginning of this episode recorded in Genesis chapter 16 is riddled with disturbing insights into Abraham and Sarah's heart and mind. Remember, the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful more than all else, and it's, it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And what we see, the, the evidence in Genesis chapter 6 is evidence of deceitful hearts, the deceitful hearts of Abraham and Sarah. We see it in their thoughts, in their actions, in their decisions, in their words. And let me just point out a few. We could have a whole sermon just on the first few verses. But let me just pick out a few here. First, Sarah says to Abraham, The Lord, quote, The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now what is ironic here is that she confesses that the power of God has prevented her from having children while at the same time does not confess that God has the power to open her womb to have children. She's confessing God's power shut the womb, but has no faith that God 
God's power can open the womb. Secondly, we see that Sarah's voice was louder in Abraham's ears than the voice of God. And in this world, this world is full of worldly and empty chatter that can drown out the voice of God in our lives. And thirdly, verse 3 tells us, that it says that Abram's wife, Sarah, notice, gave her maid to be her husband's wife. That is some weird double talk right there. It says, Sarah, Abraham's wife, gave her maid to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. What? But this is what happens when we begin compromising God's word. We start manipulating, double-talking, coming up with weird stuff. We believe it, but it's just not true. The fact is, is that we all need to watch over our hearts and our minds to make sure that we're not trying to impose our will to become God's will. We need to look to ourselves, lest we too be tempted to fall into these same pitfalls that we see that Abraham and Sarah have fell into. Well, we're not told all the details, but we know that Sarah's treatment of Hagar was so harsh and Abraham's lack of leadership was so obvious that it forced pregnant Hagar to flee to the desert. Verse 7 tells us, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring of the way of Sir. Now what we see here is that Hagar has, fleed, has fled over a hundred miles to a parched backyard portion of Egypt, a region in a desert of Sur. Now the landscape in that region is unending rows of yellow sand and gravel. And we can see that this is no place for a pregnant woman to be alone and forsaken. There was no one to look after her, no one to hear her cries, no one to care for her. But providentially, Hagar found her way to this spring of water in the midst of the desert, and that is where the angel of the Lord finds her. Now, that is the way that God works normally in our lives. Providentially, we are led to certain places. And when we end up in those places, not necessarily out of our own desires, but there the Lord finds us and speaks to us. And that's exactly what we see happening here. As well as when you look broadly within the book of Genesis, you see that there's several times within Scripture that we see women encountering their beloved, their husbands, their future husbands at a water well. Rebecca was proposed to at a well. Rachel meets Jacob at a well. Uh, Zipporah meets Moses at a well. So here we see this alone woman 
Could it be that Hagar is going to meet her true husband, the Lord, as she now sits at this spring in the desert? I believe she will find her true protector, her true husband, in this episode. The angel of the Lord mentioned here is what theologians call a a theophany, what I prefer and many prefer to call a Christophany. So we see theo is the word for God, ophany the word appearance, or Christ appearance. So we see these angel of the Lord portions of the scripture is understood to be a pre-incarnate Christ that comes and ministers God's grace to those who are afflicted. And notice what the first thing that the angel says to her. Her name. Hagar. Her name. There's no trumpets being blown by the angels in the clouds. There's, there's no bolts of lightning. There, there's no windstorm. There, none, none of that. It's just simply he speaks her name. He knows her name. Now, commentaries point out that this is the only instant where the Lord addresses a woman by name. So what we see is that this pregnant Egyptian maid is getting the same kind of one-on-one attention from God as the big boys. God finds her, comes to her, and speaks her name. Now Hagar is stunned at this point because she, this is totally contradiction to the gods that she grew up with, the gods of Egypt. See, the gods of Egypt would have never noticed a pregnant slave girl, let alone know her name. I want you to notice that the narrative is very particular in that what stunned Hagar was not the Lord's promises to give her a son. What stunned Hagar was not how the Lord told her that his descendants would be a great multitude. What stunned Hagar was not this prophecy of conflict that would proceed from her son as being a donkey of a man that would have constant conflict with all others around him. And he would live in the midst of his brothers to make sure that they constantly knew that he was there to provoke them. None of that stunned Hagar. What stunned Hagar was that God was the one who sees and hears. Hagar is astonished that God is the one who sees and he- sees and hears. And we see this in her response. She doesn't respond to anything else that the Lord has, tells her within, the, within the, the, the text. She doesn't respond to anything except that she calls the Lord by a name. Her response was to nothing else that the Lord said to her. Her response, what came from her mouth, was that she called this God, Thou art the God who sees. 
This is what astonishes her. Also, we see immediately after that, she renames the water well, and she renames it the well of the living God who sees. <laughs> That's what she's blown away about. We have to understand the drama. She is not only disgusted by Sarah's treatment of her. She's not only disgusted by Abraham's lack of leadership. She is not only just, just totally burdened by the fact that now she is a lone pregnant woman. And none of those things are contained in her response. It seems that all those things disappear when she realizes that God is the God who sees and hears. What stunned Hagar was that the Lord saw every insult inflicted by Sarah. What stunned her was that the Lord saw Abraham's silent indifference. What stunned her was that the Lord saw every lowly step that she took on her way in that hundred mile journey. What stunned her was that the Lord saw every tear that had streamed down her cheek. What stunned her was that the Lord heard every cry that had come from her midst. What stunned Hagar was that this God sought after her and found her. At the springs of the water in the midst of the desert. So to pour upon her the refreshment of his grace. Amen. And that is the point. Our God seeks after us. Our God finds us in the midst of the desert. And he seeks after us and he finds us because he wants to pour out the refreshment of his grace upon our lives. Praise be to God. That is the redemptive significance of this text. Our God comes down. Our God seeks after. Our God sees our affliction. Our God Here's our cry. Our God finds us. Our God comes to us in the midst of the desert moments of our lives. Our God knows our name. And our God cares for us. Our God pours out his refreshment of grace upon our lives. Thanks be to God. Now, Hagar is told by the Lord to return to Sarah. How could she do that? She's literally in the backyard of Egypt. She, she's literally just, just steps away from being back home in her native country with her people. So what was she supposed to do? Return to these insults? Return to this lack of leadership? No. Hagar was to return as a changed woman. The angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, had came to her 
spoke her to her name so that she could endure and glorify his name. She was to return as a changed woman. As Hagar turned around, she knew that she was no longer Sarah's slave girl. As she walked back to Canaan, she knew she was no longer needed to humiliate herself by submitting to cultural norms of that region. She knew that she was not Abraham's mistress anymore. She was a woman who had been noticed by God, heard by God, found by God, protected by God, and given refreshment by God. She knew that she had seen God, the God who sees and hears, and remained alive. And just like the New Testament tells us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, so Hagar knew that she must keep her eyes on the one who sees and hears. And if she would keep her eyes fixed on this Christ that sees and hears, this God that sees and hears, everything would change. Amen? Now the Lord told Hagar to name her son Ishmael. And the name Ishmael means God hears. (laughs) So you get it? The Lord didn't want this to be just a one-time experience in this watering well in the desert. He told her to name the child Ishmael, that is, God hears, so that in the days to come, every time she gazed upon her son, she would be reminded that my God sees. God told her to give the son this name so, because he knew that every time in the days to come when she would call out Ishmael's name, Ishmael, Ishmael, she would be reminded that our God hears. God doesn't want just to have a one-time experience with us. He wants to have an ongoing relationship with us. I want you to notice that Hagar's return was not contingent upon Sarah or Abraham's reception, but rather it was based on the fact that God sees and hears. And I share that with you because I think we need to come to the spiritual point in our lives where we do not base our returns on the action or reaction of others. We base our return. On the promises of God. Amen. Brothers and sisters. The point of the text. Is that the Lord hears the cries of the afflicted. Just like here with Hagar. Our Lord Jesus comes. To set free those who are downtrodden. He wants us to be spiritually refreshed. Today. Knowing that he sees and hears. As we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper this morning, 
I want you to hear the words of the psalmist from Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I, for you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever, and let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Shalah. As I've shared with you before, theologians have argued whether these selahs within the Psalms were inspired by God or something added within uh, the ones who recorded the pages of Scripture over and over and over again, and the debate goes on and on. That The debate's not necessarily the point. The point is, what does Shelah mean? What does it mean? What does this S-E-L-A-H mean? What it means is rest. So the psalmist has just basically said, the Lord hears my prayer, I can go to him wherever I'm at in the face of the earth when my heart is faint, and he will always lift me up. He will always give me refuge. He will always give me strength. His presence will always be with me. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. And then the psalmist adds, rest in that truth. And basically that's what I see in, in this experience of Genesis chapter 16. God wanted to make such an impact on Hagar's life that she would rest in the truth that our God sees and hears. Amen? You know, I was at a, um, a birthday party last night and, and we were able to have dinner with this uh, delightful uh, lady whose father was a Presbyterian pastor and and such, and, and uh, she was reminiscing a little bit, and, and uh, she, she said this, which kind of struck me. She said, my dad would say, I know sitting in those pews are hurting people right now, and God's here for you. And I know that sitting in these chairs are hurting people. And Genesis 16 is given to us so we might know that God hears and sees our affliction and he comes to minister his grace to us. This morning we have a grand opportunity to be able to receive the Lord's Supper. This table set before us is not the table of this church nor the table of this denomination. This is the Lord's table. Therefore, all those who are believers in Christ are welcomed to come and receive from this table. Upon this table are two basic symbols, the, body, the, the bread and the cup, symbolizing the Lord's body and his blood, the simple tokens of our faith, that God saw our affliction, our sin, knowing that we could do nothing about it, and he sent his son. Our God comes down because he hears the cries of his people. 
So these are simple elements of our faith that our God has found us in the midst of our desert experience. And he's ministered to us the grace of his son, our Lord Jesus. But we also see that the elements represent an opportunity for us to continually to be refreshed by the presence of God in our lives. Especially if we're going through times of affliction and need. So as we come to the table today, I would ask you to search your heart and cry out to the Lord and ask him to minister to you, having faith believing that our God hears and sees. And I'd ask you to come forward to receive these elements, not only in making a testimony of your faith in Christ, that God did what you could never do through his son, our Lord Jesus, but also because you are desperate for God continued refreshment of his grace in your life. As we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, I can't help but thinking of another outcast woman who had no real husband, who the Lord also met at a water well, recorded in John chapter 4, where Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. And the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. That's what the Lord wants to do today. He wants you to be refreshed by this eternal spring of water of his grace that's in your life. Are you tired of drinking of the same old well that doesn't satisfy? Then let's come to Christ today. He sees our affliction, he hears our cries, and he desires to give us the refreshment of his grace so that we would not thirst again. Amen? Let's search our hearts as we prepare ourselves to receive the supper and as I prepare the table for us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we come to you thanking you that you are the God who sees and hears. We come to you as an afflicted people, and Lord, we cry out to you, Lord, we know that you see us and you know our names. You care for us. As the sparrows of the, of the air, Lord, you certainly care for us even more. And Lord, we come today confessing that we need your grace in our lives, confessing that we could not do what the Lord Jesus has done for us, and that we rest in the accomplishments of Christ on our behalf that we might be saved, called out to be your people. And Lord, we come to you today asking for another occurrence of spiritual refreshment in our lives as we confess that we need Christ and Christ alone to minister to our hearts and our souls so that we might glorify God. Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our manipulations. We ask you to forgive us from the ways that we try to turn our will into your will. But we thank, that you, thank you that you have providentially led us to this place so that we might re be refreshed in the midst of the desert. Lord, we thank you for the grace that's found in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.